Hello and welcome back to this very special bonus edition of You Matter, which is a follow-up session to the panel that I hosted at the recent Therapy Live event on burnout. If you happen to listen to that event or have listened to the recording afterwards, then this is a great follow-on, but this session will also stand alone as a, as a great listen by itself. Two of the original panel members, Dr. Susanna Pepci and physiotherapist Gemma Oliver, returned to join me. And I am also thrilled to have welcomed an additional member, physiotherapist Anne Parkinson. So we tackled some of the questions that we weren't able to get to on the original session. We talked about things like what it feels like to be the one to stand up and say, I'm not okay. This is not okay. We discussed the relationship between burnout and more recognised conditions like anxiety and depression. And at the end, the panel members gave me some of their tips as a means to try and answer the huge question of how do we try to mitigate against the, the risk of burnout amongst healthcare professionals. I hope you'll enjoy the conversation. It's a really important one. It's important for all times, but particularly at this time. I hope that if you are experiencing any of the, the feelings or uh, thoughts going through any of the uh, processes that, that are mentioned on the, on the podcast, that you seek help. Um, please get in touch if you need further support and we can signpost you to relevant professionals to help you. Please also give us your feedback. I think the more we talk about these things and as Susanna says on the podcast, the more we call it what it is, the more chance we have of moving forward from these current situations. So you can find us as ever on all platforms, um, YouTube, uh, Spotify, podcast app, wherever you like to listen to your podcasts. Uh, if you're able to leave us a review, that's great. Enjoy the discussion and I will be back at the end. Welcome to the latest episode of You Matter. And this is a slightly different episode and one I'm really happy to be doing. It's a follow up to the burnout panel that was recorded as part of the most recent therapy live event. Um, it was a panel on the subject of burnout. Some of you may have been there on the day and have already listened to that first recording. Some of you may have listened to it after the event. Um, it is still available. So uh, it would actually be quite good preparation for this episode to listen to that one first. But don't worry, it will be standalone. And I'll recap some of the things that we covered in that first episode. But before that, I would like to introduce to my three panel members this morning, Susanna Petchy, Anne Parkinson and Gemma Oliver. And if I could ask you all to briefly introduce yourself. Um, can we start with Anne Parkinson? Uh, hi, everybody. So I am um, a neuro and pain specialist physiotherapist and a wellness coach. Um, I'm a yoga teacher, but I really integrate that into wellness coaching rather than teaching um classes i am an author published a book last year um which is aiming to uh, empower people to live well um i 
have a bias for compassion, which is something that will probably come up in this um, podcast, uh, quite possibly. Um, yeah, I think that's me. I mainly work in private practice, uh, run unity physiotherapy and wellbeing, and I work one day a week in a pain service. Lovely. Thanks, Anne. And Gemma, Gemma Oliver. Hello, my name's Gemma. I am a uh, an MSK physiotherapist. I have a sports medicine background, uh, but I now work as a first contact practitioner in a GP practice three days a week, and I do a little bit of private work as well. Um, been quite involved over the past eighteen months or so since the pandemic in doing a little bit more things on social media and set up a physio support group. Um, and I also work with Physio Matters uh, and the Therapy Live team as well. A little bit involved in that Facebook group. <laughs> Just a little bit. <laughs> it's so. definitely snowballed, I think. <laughs> <laughs> and Susanna. Yeah, hi. Thanks, Joe. Um, so I'm Susanna Petchy. I'm a GP um, working in an A&E department, um, seeing frail elderly and young people and people with mental health issues. Um, and I've become very interested in burnout and the impact of stress and psychological trauma on the body and on the way that we work and and really all aspects of how we function um, both in our professional and personal lives. Um, I've with Joe last year we put together a website called uh, First You um, to help um, uh, self-care resources for healthcare professionals uh, in a response to the pandemic. Um, and I've very much seen where I work and, and colleagues around me really um, bearing the impact of working under a pandemic in the NHS. Mm. Um, I'm also uh, in the process of, of starting up um, a clinic combining um, my expertise with psychological trauma and the impact on the body and looking at lifestyle medicine and functional medicine approaches to help guide heal people on their on their healing journey. Brilliant. That's going to be an amazing service. Thank you, all three of you. It's lovely to have you and it's lovely to have such a range of um, experience and interest, different job roles, different professional and personal experiences. So really appreciate having you all on the panel. So when we did the the first session at Therapy Live, um, it felt like we only just got started, really. Uh, During that half hour discussion, we covered off various aspects of the definition of burnout and really spent quite a bit of time talking about the difficulties in definition. Um, and I actually just at this point, um, I'll just hop over to you, Susanna, for the people that perhaps didn't hear that first uh, session or would like a recap. Do you mind just reminding everyone what mm. the kind of accepted definitions of burnout are? Yes, I think um, one of the issues with burnout is it's become a bit of a buzzword and, and people kind of throw it about a lot and it's kind of used a lot in the media. So the International Classification for Disease, which is the World Health Organization's kind of guide um, to, to defining all, all conditions, um, their current edition 11 describes burnout as needing three things. So specifically, they're saying that it's resulting from chronic workplace stress that's not been successfully managed and that it's characterized by three dimensions, feelings of uh, emotional, um, emotional exhaustion, um, depersonalization. So it's kind of that that feeling like a uh, increased uh, mental distance from job and cynicism around the job and a lack of ineffectiveness and lack of, of personal accomplishment. Um, but I think what a lot of people do is blur that into not just workplace and think about it as 
um, caregiving if someone's a carer at home or um, burning out from from parenting. So there's lots, there's kind of been lots of different overlap. Um, Another definition that people talk a lot about is compassion fatigue, Mm. um, which is often in the media and even in the medical media, people talk about it as a lack of compassion, when actually where that originally came from um, is from a researcher, Charles Figley, looking at this in caregiver burnout um, and caregiver stress and actually likened uh, this to secondary traumatic stress, which is essentially has got the same spectrum of, of symptoms as post-traumatic stress disorder, but that it's not the, that individual is not the person actually um, who, who is, is uh, experiencing the trauma, it's that they're witnessing the trauma. So actually compassion fatigue really is synonymous with secondary traumatic stress. And so is actually far more serious than this idea of just kind of lack Mm. of compassion although that can become part of it and I think those phrases compassion fatigue secondary traumatic stress and burnout have all really kind of um used very interchangeably with people perhaps not realizing the gravity of what's behind that and what that means yeah yeah and we talked didn't we about the potential pitfalls because of that in missing um people at various stages along the the path to burnout or um even well within burnout. Thanks, Susanna. Um, On that first session, we also uh, talked about spotting your warning signs and Gemma um, spent uh, quite a few minutes describing very openly and honestly the warning signs she's learned to spot. So the, you know, the triggers that make her think, oh, I better check in on myself that, you know, now through experience, um, sadly, Gemma knows that those sometimes lead her to a burnout um, scenario or on the pathway to burnout and I, I know from the feedback that that was really helpful to people we also tried to cover off some of the solutions and we answered some of the questions that came in but it was a really popular session and there were lots and lots of questions so one of the main things that I want to do on this second session is address some of those questions that that came through and we didn't get to at the time so um, actually I'm going to um, I'm going to throw you all by not starting on the question that I said I was going to start on. Sorry, guys. <laughs> but it just um, got me thinking of something Susanna just said. So um, we had the question, do you think burnout can exist in the absence of any underlying health conditions like depression and anxiety? And I just that question came up in my mind because of what um, Susanna just said about the, the sort of crossovers in definition. Um, Anne, would you feel happy to answer that one? Um, oh, that's a tricky question. Uh, Sorry about that. <laughs> I, I, I would say, can it? They all they, they coexist. So, is there a yes or a no? I'm not sure. Um, I would say that potentially might do, but there's going to be a low level of if there is burnout there's going to be a low level of other stuff going on. So whether there is a low level of anxiety or depression or a high level of self-criticism or that's maybe going to trigger into anxiety so I don't actually think I can answer it I I'm leaning towards a no it can't be in absence of anything but I'd be interested in what the uh, Susanna and Gemma think yeah I I I think it can and I I don't have any sort of evidence based from this just from experiencing you know, and I've seen what, what colleagues and friends and family go through. And I think, you know, I know Susanna mentioned that all of these 
three sort of titles are interchangeable at the moment and maybe that's how it is and they're being thrown around quite a lot but I've certainly seen a lot of people that outwardly you know don't struggle with anxiety depression and certainly don't have it as a factor in their life maybe that some of us do but yet they still struggle with work-related burnout I would say more employer related so I don't know whether that does answer your question but I think it's definitely different and I think maybe that's what we need to talk about I think people need to maybe realize that actually you can have elements of these things burnout being you know the main the main one of them that we're talking about today but you can experience things like this without feeling like you are struggling with mental health or anxiety or that sort of you know depression type of thing so it's such a tough question but I think from my point of view just thinking about it I think it's important to maybe recognize that this is something that is maybe in that bubble but absolutely can exist you know on its own without you thinking and worrying about whether you are then going to have to deal with all the other things as well. Mm. Susanna have you got anything to add on that? Yeah I mean I think it's I think, you know, if there was a straightforward answer, we'd kind of all know it. And I think the problem is that there's so much where people, all of these phrases have become kind of really popularised and they're kind of, their true meanings kind of been lost a bit because of how much they're used in the media. And people, um, I think, can can throw around the ideas of saying, oh, I'm feeling really depressed today and actually not understand what true clinical depression, how debilitating it is. And the same with anxiety and saying, you know, if they've if they check where their keys are, they're like, oh, I'm having an OCD moment with mm. no concept of actually what true OCD and, and living with 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 chronic anxiety can be. So I think um my my feeling around this is that it's really how long somebody's been in this situation so i think that if somebody is is in um in a in a really difficult work situation where they've ended up um getting to the level of burnout if that's been progressing for, for a long time and they're not able to kind of make changes and 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 get help and get better from that or even recognize it properly then you can see how that cycle can kind of perpetuate itself so that somebody then gets more all those ideas and beliefs and thought processes get more entrenched so that then the elements of of anxiety and depression can perhaps become a bit more um visible and a bit more prominent Mm. but if somebody is perhaps less on that you know more able to recognize earlier then i i completely agree that i think you can have it in uh, separately um and i think we need to understand that day to day having some degree of anxiety and some degree of our mood fluctuating you know we're not always going to have a wonderful day where everything goes blissfully well and we're delightfully happy so having having days where our moods slightly go up and down and we feel a little bit anxious that's normal life that doesn't mean that we have anxiety and depression so it's, it's kind of looking at, at degrees of it yeah I actually read something recently that suggested that Um, anxiety is almost it is part of the human condition Mm. and and as you said Susanna it will fluctuate Um, and that potentially anxiety either escalated or unaddressed or chronic is the root cause of most other of these type scenarios Um, but the anxiety itself is not you know an unusual condition it is part of being human it It keeps us safe yeah I mean that's what it's part of the fear response that keeps us safe but it's when it's kind of not in check and out of proportion, that's when it becomes really difficult. Yeah. 
Um, we had a question that is more directly related to our work patterns. So um, somebody posted in the question, how much of a role do you think a normalised 40-hour week has to pay, has to play, sorry, in burnout? Um, and specifically in relation to the type of work that we do as healthcare professionals. Um, Gemma, can I direct that one to you? Yeah, interesting. Does, does this person mean that that's a lot of hours or that we should be sticking to a 40-hour week? Or really inter- Yeah, really interesting, Gemma, because when I read it, my um, my reaction was, oh, gosh, um, people watching might think, well, I do a 70-hour week and 40 hours sounds yeah. nothing. But then the second part of the question, and I don't think 40 hours is nothing, by the way, but the second part of the question and in the type of work we do as HCPs, and I, I guess the question is, is it the yeah. type of work that makes those 40 hours significant yeah that's that's tough I think I can only give a personal comment here in that actually going to more structured time and I actually only work three and a half days four days max at the moment because of uh, fatigue and and anxiety related things but I'm very lucky to be in a role where I can do that and it's a choice you know I think if I didn't have a choice I would push myself to go and work because I would have to I'm just very fortunate that I work in a profession where I can live very comfortably on three days three days a week you know Mm. and some and so I think it's all relative is what I'm trying to get around to I certainly experience a bad bad episode of burnout which I discussed in the previous therapy live session where you know I worked in sports medicine since the start of my career for nine years and because I loved the job I didn't recognize it as work and so just put everything into it and I was doing I couldn't even tell you how many hours I think one therapist made me sort of add it all at one time and I don't think I'd like to recount but that's what I did you know I had a job during the week as a, a physio in a clinic or whatever and then I went and worked with teams at the weekend and then I traveled and I loved it and I loved it and for many many years that is what I did and I sacrificed a lot of things and I don't have a single ounce of regret but I do know that it absolutely <laughs> finished me off Mm. Now, that's an extreme example. You know, lots of people do that sort of work. Yes. But I did it consistently, you know, no family, you know, and and I don't mean that sort of negatively, but I poured everything into it. And so there was no reserve. So that was definitely the main factor of overworking and hours. What I have found is that then going back to a more structured way of life, maybe even just regular clinic hours, or uh, certainly now in my FCP role, three days a week, it's much more manageable. Okay, so I'm still, yes, I'm only doing three days. But I think even if I did the 37 and a half or 40 hours, I think the structure and the guidance for me is is a key thing here and that is what made a big difference for me Mm. and the routine but it's all relative isn't it you know some people would find that a lot some people don't have any issues whatsoever and you know I used to treat a lot of people in the city who would work 60 70 hour weeks behind a desk every day still have the structure some would struggle and some wouldn't you know and so it's very personal I think and I think it's very relatable to everything that you just said before um but other factors that we may not be aware of in ourselves as well. So Yeah, I think it's a really important point, actually, because, you know, burnout obviously isn't exclusive to healthcare, although it's a relatively common thing. Um, and I think you make a really fair point, Gemma, that not all lawyers burn out, not all doctors burn out. Um, and no, uh, it's quite difficult to, to spot those patterns. <clears throat> and, yeah, work structure may be some of it. Um, it, it may not. Um and do you do you think there's anything in that question you know, about the the specific I guess the the norms that we might associate with a healthcare professional that possibly might lead us more towards a burnout um, vulnerability? Um, I think 
Potentially. I think I completely agree with what Jen was saying there um, about, you know, the structure and not having the structure and, you know, different factors going on outside of work. And I think that's something to um, sort of pick up on is what else is going on outside work in those 40 hours? Mm. And is there that pressure, that expectation to do the additional hours, probably unpaid? Um there's a sort of lack of boundaries around it and the fact that if you don't do it you feel guilty and there's probably self-criticism and things going on but then if that means you're missing children's bedtime children's story time or things aren't getting done out of work and maybe there's other stresses out of work then those 40 hours and that additional time is going to be really significant Mm -hmm. um if um there's no breaks no lunch breaks there's a poor lack of resources um all of those things are going to go into whether those 40 hours matter or not is that person well are they living with pain or fatigue or um you know do they take time to ground themselves to notice what's going in the body or are they just pushing through regardless so I think yes potentially that can be a contributor but in isolation um no because I'd say nothing in isolation Mm. It's an interesting point, isn't it, Anna? Because it's not just the time. It's not just how many hours. It's just what you're doing and what you're losing in the place of those. And that's really interesting, actually, because I think that's what I found a lot. And it wasn't that I didn't have anything to go back to, but as a single young woman in London and travelling and everything and no family, I allowed myself to completely overwork. One, because I loved the job and I never resented it, but I didn't have anything pulling me back. You know, my family were all in the north. I had friends and family, but London is an incredible place to live but incredibly isolating at times Mm -hmm. and I do think you know as I've reflected on that time that was a big factor for me and so if I had something to go back to I think you know and we will go on to this but getting people to recognize signs and things is don't miss those times you know if you're putting yourself under pressure about what you need to do and get work done and you're missing something Mm -hmm. that's a very easy thing to to draw the line under and say no to Mm -hmm. you know you're going back to have quality time and compassionate time and self-love time which is 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 very rewarding and not just not working if that makes sense yeah you've reminded me Gemma of a um a conversation that comes up quite frequently when I'm coaching health professionals and it's something I've spotted in myself that you can not you can be you're often you're often in quite an adrenalized state um and you Mm. probably remember back Gemma to the time where you loved your job and you know it gave you lots of feedback and you enjoyed it and I'm sure you'd probably agree that a lot of that was on adrenaline and for me there's Mm. there's a there's a period of time and it might be hours days where I actually think this burnout thing might affect other people but not me and and, you know objectively I know I'm overcooking it you know if if I looked at my diary and it was somebody else's I'd say there's too much in in those days (laughs) but there's a little bit of me that goes but you know I seem to be getting away with it I seem to be doing okay here and I have learned that that thought is a bit like I haven't had a cold for 18 months because two days later I'm (laughs) yeah so one of my signs weirdly is oh I seem to be doing okay um and I need to check in am I doing okay but in that slightly manic sort of adrenalized state you're nodding Susanna Mm -hmm. um, and you're probably someone used to working more than 40 hours a week yeah I think the problem is it's it's the culture I mean I think if we're looking at working as a healthcare professional in the NHS 
you within the NHS, it, there's such underfunding. Uh, um, you know, that's kind of a, a different story. But it, but it's you know, there is a lack of staff. It's been like that for a long time, and so there's that. Um, I mean, one of the kind of the risk factors and issues around burnout and compassion fatigue is lack of control. And so you've got personal boundaries, but if you've got then, a, if you're in an environment where no one has those personal boundaries and you don't have breaks or even go to the loo or, or you know, stopping to have a drink, it seems like, you know, a bit of a luxury. Mm-hmm. Um, and the idea of other people external to the, to the ones who are specifically in your role, making decisions about how your role works and what you should do. So you've got that lack of control. It makes it very, very difficult to kind of stand up and say, hang on a minute, this is not okay. And I'm not okay. Mm. And throughout, I mean, I don't know what it's like for physio training, but certainly within medical training, there is nothing about recognizing self-care and recognizing you know your you know somatic symptoms of how you might be feeling or any any kind of warning signs whatsoever it's all just about plowing on through and giving and giving and giving and you know that's just what the job is and and if that's what your training is and then you're just you know deposited into this environment where that is the norm for everyone around you then you don't even stop to consider that maybe I'm doing too much, maybe I'm exhausted. Um, and and so, and even if you manage to work 40 hours within that, the idea of you finishing on time, it's always like, well, if you're lucky, you finish on time. You know, there's always that, well, you know, you kind of expecting almost to finish late. And then, you know, it's absolutely as, as, as um, the other two have said about what what's going on outside of work. So what's going on with you personally, um with you know your own health but also do you have family to look after either parents or a partner who's unwell or children you're looking after what support have you got um and often you know you can work with people a long time and have no idea of actually what they're dealing with outside of work Mm. um so it's uh, it's a really tough one and I think you know it's it's absolutely not just the number of hours like you can do 40 hours a week in a job you love where you've got control over the structure and you've got you're aware of boundaries you're aware of putting in those boundaries of self-care of finishing on time of of having you know bridging rituals to start the day and end the day where you're changing roles and making sure that you've got time the evening to be with your partner or your kids or friends and you totally thrive on doing 40 hours a week but if you don't have any of that in place then it's just it's really tough Mm. Yeah, and that's that's definitely what happened to me, and I don't without even realizing. And, and again, it was just something that was natural because I wanted to spend my time doing the things that that I loved. And at that point in time, it was it was it was great. And before you know it, you were already there. You know, now things have moved on for me. You know, and the world from a mental health point of view, and a burnout point of view, and a fatigue mm. point of view. But that is absolutely the other amazing point you just made um Susanna is that we're not taught this mm. we are taught to look after patients we're yeah. not taught to look after ourselves yeah, mm. yeah. and it's so it's so obvious it's crazy say it out loud it? it's yeah. so what you know it's so obvious and it's only now that we're really struggling and obviously over the past 18 months we've all started to reflect working patterns have been looked at differently people are thinking about what they want to do people yeah. are recognizing they want to spend time. all of these things as awful as it sounds 
is a good thing to come out of, you know, the pandemic, you know, and the changing work structures. But why has it taken this <laughs> to actually get, yeah. you know, and, and it's easy to sit here, isn't it, and say in hindsight. But you're right, it's a culture thing. You know, we're almost expected, you know, I know physio friends that compete with each other on how many hours they do each week. And, absolutely. you know, they seem to sail along and, and it's absolutely fine. And they have, you know, two children, family, you know, five jobs and, and everything. And I just... Yeah, but it's just a crazy book for me because it does affect me so much. Over the past few years, there's lots of things that I've learned to try and just slow it down a bit. I think yeah. you, um, you both hit on the point there of a a culture, yes, we're not taught to care for anybody except uh, the people in front of us, but there's this glorifying of um, busyness and stress and martyrdom. Yeah. Um, you know, we we all know that health services are held together to an extent by collective martyrdom. But Susanna, you touched on how incredibly difficult it is to be the one person to stand up and glorify something different. You know, we can't we can't unglorify overworking until we start to glorify the other. Yeah. But we don't glorify rest and no, compassion. Um you know you you mentioned something called bridging rituals Susanna and I I know you and I know what that is I'll ask you to explain in a minute because I think that is it's a small thing isn't it and um you hear a lot how how can I change anything you know it's such a monolith of a problem and the answer is you know no one person is going to turn this over um but are we going to sit and wait for some other entity or somebody else to do it I, I personally believe that the only way is is the courage of small changes. That's the only thing we can do, isn't it? Um, and Susanna, you, um, I'm going to lead you into this and I hope you're okay to share it because I always loved an example you gave of a bridging ritual and it was to do with the showers, the undeaded yeah. showers that you found. Do you mind telling that story? Yeah, it's um, so with, because of the, the way, you know, working in A&E with a pandemic, um, before I I used to go home and 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 the kids would kind of know not to touch me I'd kind of get changed out of my scrubs but then I'd kind of run upstairs and and have a shower but it's that being bombarded um as soon as you get in the door even if they didn't touch me they'd follow me upstairs and sit next to me in the bathroom and just talk at me um and so I found these showers down this corridor that kind of other people knew about and I'd, I'd only just discovered and I, I got some really nice shower gel, really nice moisturizer. And um, and I go and have a shower and just really kind of visualize the day washing off me. Um, and and having that kind of 10, 15 minutes of just washing the day off um, and spending a little bit of time just on my own, just reflecting on the day and then making my own way home rather than being met, which, which again seems lovely. My husband would sometimes meet me after work but then talk to me about home things. And I just kind of found that just really difficult not having that space. So it's that having a shower, washing off the day and then walking home, just being able to just with each step, just letting the day kind of go behind me that then when I got home, I felt I was much more able to be present to my husband, to my children and to actually really enjoy their company. Yeah. I, I love that. Um, and I've, I've heard reference recently to a study um, I think it was done in 2018 where they looked at uh, they got people to list the things which actually made them feel restful that they would call rest and I think the top 10 were all things 
um, without other people present. <laughs> Absolutely. You're talking to people with social anxiety here. That's uh, number one on the, on the list. It's interesting because so. I'm, I'm sorry, I'm quite new. I've never worn scrubs up until, you know, the past couple of months or so and in, in my new role. And what you've just said, I didn't even realise, but that's what, I, what I'm doing. I love now getting changed. It's almost like I'm taking work off. Yeah. Um, and I'm doing it for practical, you know, sanitary kind of, PPE reasons whereas you know I'm coming on public transport and vice versa don't want to contaminate in any direction really but it, it's such a nice thing to even at the start of the day as well actually get dressed you know have my scrubs in my bag you know sort, sort my computer out put my scrubs on coffee and I'm ready and then in the same thing in reverse and I don't think I quite appreciated Susanna that's the impact that that was having until mm. you just said that and it definitely helps me it definitely helps and I walk and have a commute as well and I choose to commute on the train as well for that reason I you know I weigh up the the risks of, of public transport in a 20 minute commute but they outweigh sitting in a car and getting stressed in traffic and having to concentrate especially if you are as I am unfortunately at the moment dealing with a small element of burnout and fatigue and concentration I don't want to have to concentrate on my way home I want to just get rid of the day and I love the commute for that mm. not for everybody but for me it massively helps me and then when I get home it's you know it, it's so much better so now if you choose Gemma you can call that your bridging ritual <laughs> well yeah. there you go you see it's like a session for myself <laughs> and you were nodding away and I imagine you know with your interest in compassion and particularly self-compassion you probably have some thoughts on that yeah um I think that's a really lovely um term actually bridging ritual um I think having that segregation that time to sort of soothe the systems to let go of all those things are really important and it brought to mind something in a compassion chapter in um, yoga and science and pain care which is edited by three physios that are yoga teachers but chapters are all by different people Mm. and Shelley uh, Posco who's a physio and yoga therapist wrote the compassion chapter and it reminded me I'm sure it's in this so I hope I'm right is about like the time between people washing hands and that using that ritual to ground to connect to let go of that that whatever just happened and then be ready present for yourself but be ready for the next person that you're going to see Mm. and that that can be um I think she linked to compassion practice in it from memory but you could use like Christian Neff's uh, sorry Christian Neff's um self-compassion um sort of three parts which is the mindfulness of the noticing the common humanity that everybody struggles everybody suffers it's part of being human and then what can you do out of kindness right now for yourself and that could be um you know reminding yourself you're doing the best you can with the resources you've got something I have to do quite often in my pain service role um it could be giving yourself a hug which maybe you're not gonna in the middle of the war just do that but it, it could be that you've got a you know stroke of your arm it, um I think Shelley has a, a strokes of thumb I think she said she's developed over the time if she doesn't want to do that in public or put a hand on her heart um I find I do that quite a lot if I'm on a telephone clinic um so it's just that being present for you having some pauses in the day that give you those almost like those little rituals but mm-hmm. that keep you connected to your body and what's going on and, and that knowledge. And this is really tricky for me right now. This is, you know, this is really tough. Yeah. And actually, lots of other people find this really tough. Mm. Um, so I think, yeah, I think there's a lot of things, connections within the rituals and the presence and the grounding um, and the self-compassion. 
I think that's really important and because you know when we look honestly at our diaries if we looked ahead at the day sometimes it seems like there are no moments um, and if there are moments they are tiny aren't they but you just really highlighted there that um, even if it is a 30 second moment where you do touch your heart and you give your brain a different message rather than this seamless transition from one task to the next you know that can be enough and it seems tiny doesn't it but it's it's so different to just a whole day of here there everywhere one thing straight into the next yeah and you have to catch yourself because you get in that automatic pilot and I, and I do it and and they think whoa hang on just like yes I'm late to ring that next person but I'm going to take 30 seconds I'm going to have five breaths I'm going to round myself I'm going to look out the window but if you're not if you're disconnecting from your body you're not going to notice those signs and we all do it it's part, part of being human but it is that practice and having that intention to do it setting that intention in the morning actually brings the awareness to it so um an ever ongoing practice I think yeah. Yeah. Some people, some people don't want to disconnect either. And this is the other thing, you know, mm. I've got colleagues and friends in our very close circle, Joe, at the moment, you know, and they work <laughs> very, very hard doing a number of different things. And, you know, they don't take breaks and they are, they've got their own coping strategies, you know. And so, like I said, at the start, it's all very individual and bespoke for the individual. But I sometimes think, and I've seen this in sport quite a lot, is people don't want to disconnect because they feel that it would disrupt the flow, it would disrupt Mm. the way that they work, they don't feel that they would be as efficient. You know, I know I can't be like that and it's a completely different ball game. but I've got a lot of friends and colleagues who function very well some of them don't function very well, but I don't, I think they're actually choosing not to disconnect. Now that's a different chat and a different discussion about recognising and, and, you know, being aware of what, what's happening so that you don't push yourself too far. But I think there is a balance there, isn't there, where people feel that they drive on their adrenaline, and I certainly did in, in a number of my different roles, and they use that to be successful. So it's such a tough sort of topic, and, I, and one that I don't think, like you said, just said, it's, it's not hard. I've been you know, working on my mental health for three, four years now, and which is not a long time compared to some, but I'm only just starting to get to grips with it now, whereas if this is all new to you, it's about just doing those very simple little things and not thinking that you're going to have it all sorted in, in a couple of days or a session or whatever, which is what we all want essentially sometimes, isn't it? Yeah, you're training yourself, aren't you? And, and like with any form of training, you need to start with the small distance. Can I just pick up on something, Joe? Is that all right? Mm, on, sure. um, I think, you know, that what Gemma was just saying about that and I'm wanting to disconnect and, mm. and the, the misconception around that, that by bringing awareness back to yourself you're disconnecting from that person and and the environment and actually with um practice it's helping to maintain that and that so you're holding everything else and you in that space but you're not disconnecting from Mm. whatever else is going on so Mm. they're still what you're you're they've still got almost your full attention but you've got a little bit and some of those people will be absolutely fine um Mm. throughout the whole life doing that and other people there'll be perhaps a small stressor that kicks off Mm. a massive response and Mm. but I think there's a lot of misconception and it around if you bring some attention to yourself that you're not going to be as effective or you're going to lose focus um I think it's it's a tricky one but I think and I also think it comes into the striving culture as well um 
And I think that's the, that's where the recognition of it. I think that sometimes people think that they'll recognize um, when they're getting stressed and when they might need to take a break and might need to disconnect because they um, will will become really anxious or will become depressed or or will become less effective at their work. But often when you're in it, you can't see it. Mm. And and it often then can manifest as physical symptoms. You know, people having chronic pain or bowel issues or, um, you know, there's so many aspects of the body that it can impact. And people then just go down a very kind of traditionally medical route to just fix that so that they can get back. And if you think even like um, adverts for things like Lemsip, <clears throat> You know, it's just you just take a lem sip and then you can power on through the day. Mm. And that's the culture that we're in, you know, and, and it's, yeah, it's, yeah. So it's, it's not surprising that we find it really hard. And then I think it's it's even more like we've said in that healthcare environment that it's a badge of honour to be really busy. And, yeah. you know, there's also that it was our choice to go into this profession. So we kind of should just suck it up and get on with it, really. Um, and, yeah. and it feels like if you if you kind of put your hand up and say, actually, I'm finding it difficult, that could mm. be a sign of weakness that people then mm. don't respect you. Mm. So then people just rather just don't say anything. I, I still get really surprised now. And I've had a conversation this week uh, with a colleague that they are really surprised at how open I am with my mental health especially in my new role I to me you know it wasn't easy to do at first but over the past few years especially how well received it's been and how much better it's made me feel I don't understand how I would do that any other way now I know that's very easy for me to say if people are listening to this and aren't, aren't haven't gone through that journey but I'm still amazed Susanna that people are shocked especially in healthcare to say that what you know you're very brave I get, I get called brave and I'm very grateful and it's very nice that, that to have that recognition to, uh, to speak out so openly about it all but to me I guess it's now very easy to do because I've seen the massive benefits that it brings and it's still we've still got a long way to go I think that's what I'm trying yeah. to get to you know we've still Absolutely. got a long way to go it's so much better but you know there's people within my role in healthcare in the NHS at the moment saying I could never tell people how I really mm. feel I couldn't do that for whatever personal reasons that, that is and I've spent and that's a number of conversations that I've had yeah. I had one very senior um person you know say that that I probably shouldn't and I maybe you know and this was advice it wasn't detrimental it wasn't meant to be you know used in any way shape or form to to mask it but I think it was a it was a a, a warning to say actually just try and guard yourself a bit maybe mm. just do this and I you know I take that on board and I know some people much prefer to work like that and as I keep saying it's very bespoke to the individual but for me I have to and because I've seen such massive benefits of helping deal with the anxiety and you know recent burnout I, I it it, it, it's a no-brainer for me yeah. but I think taking those small steps and recognizing it and we've got we, we've got to do more there's got to be more recognition in the workplace and everywhere that we work especially in healthcare for helping people recognize this a bit earlier mm. yeah I mean I think with the stigma I think you know there's there's such a taboo around it that even I know there was a quote in an article from Claire Gerarda who's a who was the head of the Royal College of GPs. She's a very influential GP. And she set up the practitioner health program um, that's for, for senior nurses and, and doctors in, in, the, in England, um, saying that doctors would, would 
prefer to contemplate suicide rather than actually acknowledge that they're struggling with 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 workplace stress and mental health issues Mm. um but my experience is very similar to yours Gemma about being honest about my mental health issues and struggles um and the more that I've been open about it then it it kind of invites other people to come and share their very privately they'll kind of come and say you know actually this is what's been going on with me and by it's kind of what you were saying earlier Joe by showing little tips and and some of the things and that you were saying like the very very small little tips that you can do the more I've kind of talked about those and shared those and 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 I think colleagues can see me doing some of those then it, it sets up that ripple effect of other people then asking about it and then maybe trying things um and I think that's yeah. how by making those little changes and trying to be a bit more honest about and open about the impact of, of those things that's how we can start to create change and, and and I think that's the only way we can start to try and change the culture really I yeah agree. agreed to me there seems to be a belief um I've certainly felt a belief throughout my uh, 25 years in healthcare that in healthcare that if if we let this run amok, you know, if everyone starts talking about how they feel and, and sharing their problems, the whole system will crumble. You know, no one's going to say that to you, but there seems to be this <laughs> underlying fear that the whole thing is going to collapse. Now, quite frankly, if that's true, then it's not. Very we've got bigger problems. <laughs> we've, we've got bigger problems than burnout, haven't we? So. Yes. <laughs> and, and I would say, you know, if that is the culture, it, it ain't working particularly brilliantly at the moment. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, you three are absolute shining examples of it, it is courage, Gemma. And, um, you know, I I totally get what you're saying that for you, it's the only way to be um, because of the way you're made up. But, um, you know, it's to still when you're given that advice to maybe pull back and yet have the courage to keep pushing forward. I yeah. admire so much. Thank you. For me, it's also started to recognise when people do say that and saying thank you. And I've said this on, you know, maybe a couple of my blogs and a couple of interviews that I've done in the past year is that just actually when somebody pays you a compliment, whether it's about what you've just said or anything specific, just say thank you. You know, the world is unkind at times. We are all trying to be a lot kinder. I always try to be a bit too kind I think probably a bit soft on occasion but just it's just that little snapshot of something for you that is given from another person and it's such a it's such a lovely thing to do and that has helped me again and um yeah it's just it's just it's just being in the moment and taking time for yourself and recognizing what's going on around you and just taking some time out from what you're doing and if you're feeling off the patter or if you're not quite feeling it or if you're feeling like you can't concentrate or there's something not quite ebbing at work that would be an early warning sign for me to just look out for it and think about as ever time is racing even with a little bit longer it's still going fast so I'm gonna put in one last question which actually is a massive question so I'm gonna ask all three of you just to give one tip that covers one aspect of this for you um so the question was how do you think we change the risk of burnout in the NHS so I do not expect a full and complete answer but um I'm gonna ask all three of you just to give one tip as a kind of takeaway in the vein of this these small individual steps that we've been talking about in addition to the great tips you've already given I won't 
go to anyone in person whoever feels compelled to speak first <laughs> I'll go first and because I it follows on from what I've just said and I will be honest and say I've got a very very small element of this going on personally at the moment and it is only through the support network that I have in my in my practice and in my role in the NHS and privately because I work for a private company that I'm able to sort of carry on with work at the moment so my tip is to talk to people is to talk to your boss talk to your line manager talk to friends it is never going to be as hard or as difficult because I've managed to sort of carry on working with various interventions at the moment that I don't mind sharing but only because I was vocal and I and I and I sort of raised my hand a little bit before it got too late for me and my work and 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 health wise as well so please if you're feeling a little bit off the path or if you not quite with it and you don't quite sure what's going on please talk to talk, talk to your boss you know this is a subject which everyone's talking about at the moment but use that to your advantage you know use it to mm-hmm. say I'm not quite sure what's going on you don't have to have all the answers but even if you just have a coffee or a chat or something or just five minutes you'll be amazed at the support network that there is out there because even though resources are limited there is stuff out there I was we were um, given a sent around some webinar NHS things through one of my GP practices a couple of weeks ago and I've signed up to one on Monday um, which is an action plan it's like a well-being action plan um, through I think it's East Lancs Trust but each trust will have these things and they're not quite they're not put across as much as they maybe should be you have to probably go looking for them um, and yes the resources are, are scarce but this stuff is there so ask for it ask for the support mm. my advice thank you um, I think um, my tip, which will be no surprise, Joe, probably this word, is <laughs> it's around compassion. It would be having some daily self-compassion practices. There's three th- flows of compassion, um, but I'd start with the self-compassion. And the reason this is so important is a foundation because it will um, help it it's, uh, give the courage and the strength to set boundaries, to talk, to take that time um Jeremy Halifax has a great quote and I might get it the wrong way around it's in my book but it's um soft front strong back and it's either that way around or the other way around it basically means there's two sides there's the softness and the strength and I think they're so important um in the NHS so I think and then having taken the little practices then and you're doing daily practices is making them into those little bite-sized practices in the day um but compassion that. has been shown to decrease the risk of burnout and uh, stress so sorry yeah, yeah. That's sorry Gemma. no no I'm sorry for interrupting you that feeds no, no, don't worry. Gemma's those two yeah you know if we're looking for the courage to speak up yeah your kind of practices serve really well as a as a preparation for that yeah beautiful yeah so uh, for me I just say call it how it is You know, I think unless we're actually honest about the prevalence of burnout and the impact of of workplace stress, the impact of the emotional toil of of working as a healthcare professional, unless we're honest and open about it, we're not going to be able to get anywhere. So it's being honest about it and open about it and and then start making little changes within ourselves, looking out for colleagues. But unless we actually call it what it is, and, mm. and are honest about how prevalent it is, we're not going to get anywhere. So having platforms like this to actually discuss it and name it and say it's happening and that uh, I've had issues with it and Gemma's talks about her, you know, it's being honest about it and, and then we could start to tackle it. So true. Lovely point to finish on. Thank you, Susanna. 
Um, thank you so much, all three of you. If we could all work with or for people like you, then I think... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> there are people around, aren't there? There are people around. And as Susanna said, we just, we've got to be more vocal about this, which is why, you know, we all are here obviously doing this and trying to share. People want to talk about it. People want to know about one of these, that, you know, this stuff. And it, it's just so important we start to look after each other and ourselves a bit better, yeah. especially after the last two years exactly so can i finish up by asking all three of you if people would like to get in touch with you either to continue this discussion or um in relation to any of the projects and organizations you mentioned at the start could you give people some contact or the best contact um for you if i start with you again Gemma? um twitter is probably best for me i am at gem gem oliver uh, if you just send me a message on there that's normally how I get contacted I think Lovely. well done I can never remember my own Twitter handle so well <laughs> <laughs> um. uh, Twitter or uh, email so Twitter is at unity physio um, and the email is info at unity lovely thank you and Susanna um, probably easiest is uh, through I've got a website it's just my name drsusannapecci.com um, and on there there's an email address so you can see what I do and where I work and and there's an email address to get in touch. Lovely well I hope people listening have enjoyed that discussion and I really encourage you to get in touch with any of these ladies if um, if you'd like to follow up on any of these conversations or seek their services. So Huge thank you. That was a fantastic discussion. Really appreciate you being here and being so honest and open. And as Susanna has suggested, calling it and naming it exactly what it is. Thank you. Thanks, Joe. Thank you. Thanks, Joe. Thanks so much for listening to that special bonus edition of You Matter. I hope you enjoyed the discussion. I hope you found some things helpful, maybe for yourself or maybe to advise colleagues that you, you think might benefit. Please do signpost um, this podcast and the original session at Therapy Live to anybody who you think uh, might it might be of benefit to. Maybe share it in your departments. The more we talk about this stuff, the better. So more than ever, my message today, if you are a busy clinician, being all things to everybody in so many spheres of your life, then do take time, stop and reflect on the fact that you do very much matter.